NationalRescueConsultants.com is your source for all education in the USAR world, man versus machine, and advanced survival tactics. Go check out NationalRescueConsultants.com today, a proud sponsor of the Can Man Radio Show. Get off your ass, canners, and get ready for some extreme tabletop exercises. It's time for the Can Man Radio Show. And now your fearless leader, the senior canner himself, Jason Liska. And it's a beautiful fucking Wednesday night, and the first F-bomb has already come out. Before we even got into the fucking intro, there's number two, and we're at OFC 2022 for the 20th anniversary, and I've got a fucking great lineup this evening here. I've got Rick George, i got Sean Duffy, i got people that want to talk on the mic this evening, so we're going to fucking kick this thing off, and that's number four. I think we're going to hit 20 tonight, Rick. I'm just saying, welcome to another great episode of the podcast that we are growing with the fucking mentorship mindset. And I don't know why the little Irish guy behind me is fucking making hand signals. That's starting to scare me. And he's sleeping in my room. So anyway, this evening, we're going to start off with our first guest who I've been trying to line up now for some time. And we've crossed paths at least a half a dozen times over the last several years. We just never could fucking line it up. He's a veteran who is retired, who is out there teaching still. He came from my alma mater, finished his career there. Good old Palm Beach County. We're going to talk about his class this evening, and I'm going to welcome Rick George to the program. So welcome, brother. Fucking A. Thanks for having me. Oh, fucking A. Right. See, there's number seven already, I think. Actually, whatever. I think we can fucking attain 22 easily. Are are we going to go by the Pablo standard on this? Because if we are, we might as well just go ahead and just put it infinite at this point. So, oh, geez, Lord have mercy. And there's Sean talking again. I I swear tonight, baby's going in the corner. That's all I'm going to tell you. That's where Eric is. Oh, Eric's in the corner and he's filming us too. This is getting weirder. Okay. It's getting weirder as we go along. So Rick, man, listen, let's start off with you. I want to talk a little bit about you and your background. I know a lot of people have had these conferences you've been able to travel to. You've, you've taught a lot of awesome material and and the mindset seems to be the focus and stress inoculation and various other components that we in in a way some of us were able to learn young in our career and and I don't think we're teaching enough of it today and I think that's why you have such a purpose out there with the classes you're teaching like theater of the mind which I was able to witness tonight but let's talk about you first let's go ahead and break it out just talk about your career your background and some of the good and the bad with it uh, well, I, I grew up a, a little thug in the streets of uh, Broward County, and from there, uh, it, I guess it was about 1987, I ended up uh, getting sober, and who knew? Drugs and alcohol were a problem. <laughs> not in South Florida. And, yeah, and, and I was running with a crowd that was not very nice. Yeah. And, uh, bad things were happening. Okay. And so, anyways, uh, fast forward through, uh, through that. I uh, stumbled upon my purpose in life. Okay. You know, I, I was just very fortunate, and I'd want to be a fireman my entire life. And started uh, going to school, paid myself through school. Uh, it's one of those things that I did for myself mm-hmm. and did it legally. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to be flipping about it. It actually took a lot of pride in, in taking loans out, paying my own tuition. Oh, I love that. that. You know, I love that. And um, uh, got through school and. Uh, I got hired with Palm Beach County after a while. Yeah. When was that? It was, uh, 19, ooh, 
1991 or two. Right about the time I would have come in as a cadet. Yeah, it was uh, it was my dream job. I yeah. always wanted to be a fireman. Then I got stuck at a uh, I got stuck on a rescue. So I, I did. Uh, I used to work out in Belgrade and in Pahokee prior uh-huh. to that. And so I ended up doing like 15 years on a rescue, and uh, I finally promoted off. I actually called my chief and told him. I said, "Listen, I was I was assigned next to the village. Uh, the village is a is century village. It's for elderly and." and uh, oddly enough, a lot of people from the Northeast come and retire there. The Rock. Oh, God, dude. So I called my chief. I said, listen, if you don't get me the fuck out of here, you're going to see me on a 5 o'clock news dangling one of these motherfuckers by their ankle from from the balcony. On uh, Norwich Sea. And, uh, yeah. And, and uh, it that uh, at that point, I ended up going to counseling yeah. for what they call uh, compassion fatigue. Right on. I know. Hard to, it's hard to believe, but that, that's what they called it. And and um, But I, when I promoted... I went from taking care of strangers to taking care of the people that take care of strangers. Right. It gave me a whole different context on the fire service. Fortunately, we have two tracks. We got the medical side and the fire side. Yeah. And I got to finish strong on the fire side. Yeah. So when you ranked up, you moved off that box finally. Ooh, yes, sir. How high did you get in Palm Beach County? Uh, I died on a captain's list, promotional captain's list. And um, that was it. That was it? Yeah. Damn, that was, that's where you were. That's it. You made it happen. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good ride, man. Yeah, I loved it. And you finished out at thirty three. I finished out at station thirty three. The station I started at. Yeah, man. It's that amazing. Was, uh, the fire factory. Oh yeah. Still to this day. No, now it's more like the medical factory. Well, I mean, okay, you're right. I'll, I'll give you that. Okay, but back in the nineties and even in the early two thousands, you yeah. got to say that was that was, was the was shit rocking, out there. Man. And 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 we had a giant zone back then. Oh god, so we got cut up, and they built three other stations in the zone area. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, and then we absorbed uh, Palm Springs, yep. and so we lost that. So we had 39 and 36. And mm-hmm. It just wasn't the same. I remember when it was 33, 31, 34, yep. and then you, yeah, 23 or Royal Palm. Yeah, you know, when they took yep. over Station 28, and that was like your next best thing to Station 21 out there. Yep. You know, so there was nothing between Kirk Road and Jog Road. Basically, that was it. You had all that area to cover. It was not easy. It was a long night for most of those two rescues. We had a, it's an eclectic little area. It is. It is. different gangs. Oh, I grew up in that area. It's a a kind of place you want to be as a fireman. Oh, yeah. I grew up in Joggers Run. Or a cop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Joggers Run, and then we lived in uh, Victoria Woods right there off Summit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Back in the day. Uh Good old Vicky Woods, man. And John I, class of 95 for me. I know. I'll tell you, these are the old days, man. So you retired. And before we get to that, you talked about the uh, compassionate side of the, the therapy you went into and say it again, this make sure I didn't miss it. Call it what they called it back then. Back then it was, uh, it went from burnout to compassion fatigue. Okay. So compassion fatigue, what year was that when you first noticed shit was going downhill? Damn. I studied for this test, but I don't know. And that was coming. That's all right. That was 1998, seven, six. So really not that long ago. Yeah. I mean, 25, 26 years ago, when you yeah. think about it, and back then, PTSD wasn't anything that we ever considered to be an issue in the fire service. That's what you got at war. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's scary where we have come from to where we are today. And you mentioned it earlier in um, 
your class in theater of the mind, you talked about the suicide rate versus line of duty deaths, which we can expand on now, or we can wait till later and just kind of dance around why you got into the stress inoculation world and the education and the research you've done to build your classes. But I'm gonna leave that up to you. Uh, your show, you lead, I'll follow. Well, how about this? Before we get into that, let's talk about what led you to get into the programs that you started teaching out of retirement. Uh, it, it all started out of necessity. Okay. Um, it was, uh, you know, when, when, so just to clarify for your audience, I'm not quite how, sure how far they go and where, what parts of the country, but mm-hmm. in Florida, when, when we say you're riding a rescue, it's not a heavy. Oh no. It's an ambulance. You're on a box. You're on a box. Yep. South Florida is St. Pete's waiting room. People yep. come here to die. Very and much. So we have a large elderly population and you're going to run medical calls. We have mm-hmm. nursing homes and it's just not glorious at all. It is the most abusive position on the box. Oh, yeah. It, that is the most abusive position in the fire service on that box. And the burnout rate is high. Very high. And so um, you, you get accustomed to running, uh, you know, we're an emergency system mm-hmm. and we don't run emergencies. We run anything. You mm-hmm. call, we haul. Very true. And that was the uh, that was the motto. And, and um, after a while, you, you kind of get fed up with that. You yeah. Know? You, you wonder what, what am I doing here? And that's what got to the point to me. And, and it was, uh, I'd, I'd rather flip hamburgers at McDonald's and be happy than, 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 you know, I was at a toxic firehouse. Yeah. It, it wasn't good. The truck, the engine and the rescue did not talk, eat together or nothing. You mm-hmm. know? And, uh, that's when I got introduced to the fools. Okay. And that changed my entire career. The fools saved my career, bro. Okay. Fire service saved my life. The fool saved my career. All right. So the fool saved your career and then you started elevating from there. That's correct. Okay. So I think it's time we'll go ahead and transition into your classes then. And let's start out where you first started teaching. What was the first program you brought out? So, uh, well, I, I, I've done a lot of training to train a lot of different disciplines. Um, uh, I got turned on when I joined the fools, we started doing training. Right. So it started with the entanglement. And then from there, it was collapses and the Nance drill and the Pittsburgh drill and mm-hmm. all these other things. And, you know, I'm a young fireman, and I, I want to be put in those type positions. I right. want to be tested. I want to I want to advance. And uh, that just uh, led me into a teaching career. But when everything went sideways, it was the vehicle was a divorce. It wasn't the divorce that caused it. The vehicle was, that was the divorce. It was the last thing. It was the last straw. That's what caused the PTSD to be diagnosed. Okay. It was during that divorce. It was by accident. It was by a, uh, the guy was a forensic psychologist. He was also a child psychologist. And I was bringing my kids there for a divorce because it was a custody battle. Yeah. And he's talking to me and he's like, hey, I want to talk to you next, you know, next week. Make it in three days. I'd like to talk to you. Okay. Okay, cool. So I'm thinking he's got an angle for me, right? I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So it's not, it wasn't a battle about, I'm trying to take my kids from my wife. It's my kids were safer with me. Right. You know, she, she has some problems, but you know, those aren't self-created. You're born with some, Yeah. you know, and uh, that's what she was battling with. So, um, he calls me in, we start talking and he's the guy that diagnosed me. It was a, it was a, it was all by accident, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that was at that point, it was, uh, I couldn't sleep at night. I'd be waking up uh, 2.30, 3.30 in the morning, and I was up. It didn't matter. I tried to stay up late and go to bed early, and it I couldn't do it. And when I'd wake up, I was out of breath. Uh, I reached for a pistol, and, uh, you know, I, I started searching the house. I felt like I was being hunted. Yeah. And, um, you know, that you, 
you can only lose sleep for so long before it really starts to affect you. The emotional swings, I think, were probably the most embarrassing because you go from, like, joy all the way to complete despair and crying and tears. It didn't matter where it was. It was, mm-hmm. it was this was one of the most emasculating things I'd ever been through in my life. For a man who's in a career built around machismo. Exactly. And, exactly. and it's debilitating. And, and a mindset. Right. Thinking that I'm fucking bomb-proof and that I can do this and... You know, I'm a fucking street thug back from Fort Lauderdale and all this other shit. And, and, and it, you know, I, I've, 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 I've fought Muay Thai, fought underground MMA. I've fought in the Pan Am games for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've done all of this stuff. Yeah. And I find myself in a fight that conventional weaponry does not work in. And so you had to find the unconventional method to fix it. That is correct. So that is correct. let's talk about that. Started with a, uh, a writ class that Paul Capo was teaching. Mm-hmm. He introduced me to a book called On Combat. He told me, he says, you got to read this. And I read it. It blew my, it blew my mind. Okay. And uh, he talks about this breathing exercise. So I tried this breathing exercise, you know, at, at, the, at the firehouse. And uh, it's belly breathing. Mm-hmm. And because um, let me preface that by saying that uh, one of the things that was really emasculating that, that I couldn't keep my mask on my face. Okay. I was having these anxiety attacks from nowhere, man. It was just crazy. Suffocating. Yeah, I felt like I was being suffocated, and uh, I, I, I didn't know what to do. It's my career. Mm-hmm. This is—I've never had anything that I loved this much. Never met so many people that I, I felt so close with, and a job that I was so connected with. You know, I, I loved this job. Yeah, I've had a love affair with the fire service for almost thirty years, and and you know now, but at the time, I, uh, that, all that's being jeopardized, and I'm, I'm wondering what. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And that's where the suicide ideation really started to step up. Um, I I uh, I didn't know what to do. So when he talked about these, he Grossman discusses in his book on combat about these uh, the anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's actually in the in the way that the brain changes and how breathing can help calm you down and how it's the uh, it's the mechanism to help control. I was like, okay, I got to try this. And so I did. I, I went into a gym while we were on duty, had all my gear on, high-rise pack. I was on air, had the irons in my hand, got the treadmill on an incline, and I'm just freaking humming along. And then when this closes on me, yeah, uh, I just happened to look at, down at the, the clock on the, on the treadmill, and it was about five minutes and 30 seconds, five minutes, 40, somewhere in there. And, uh, man, it closed on me so quick, I jumped off the treadmill, shugged that pack off i went out into the bay i was walking in circles and i uh, the only thing i was telling myself was don't take your mask off don't take your mask that's all i could function that's that's all i could think of you were fighting a losing fucking battle in your head i was already lost and then i stepped out into the sun now this is august okay if you're not familiar with florida let me describe it this way jump on i-95 in August or September and drive south and just keep going until you get to the ramp exit where you see this guy standing there with a pitchfork because you're driving into hell. <laughs> That's South Florida. It is so fucking hot. That it that is. That is when, when that heat hit me and all my gear and everything, yeah. my first rational thought came to me at that point and it was, what the hell are you doing out in the sun, boy? Yeah. Go back in the AC. That was my first rational thought. You so, figured you'd be safer in the AC. It was more comfortable. It was the easy way out. Maybe who the hell knows? No, no. It was just, I wasn't thinking. The only thing I was thinking was don't take your mask off. Don't take your that mask off. That was the only thing. And then the heat hit me. So yeah. feeling the heat brought me back to my senses. It was probably breathing. Yeah. Too, gotcha. Because right? I'm freaking hyperventilating because I'm scared shitless. Yeah. I don't know why I'm scared shitless. So yeah. 
now I have all this, it just, it was odd. And when I came back inside, I still got my mask on and I'm like, I'm disappointed because I missed the opportunity. Okay. And I happened to look at the treadmill and I realized, you know, uh, hey, I, I could do this again. Okay. So I did. I threw the high rise pack on my air bottle. I grabbed the irons, got back on the treadmill, it's still running, mm -hmm. jumped on it, started going. I kept my eyes glued to the clock. Yeah. And that's when I noticed the way that it seems to come up from below me. Um, uh, it's like being dipped into a vat of warm water. Okay. And the closer it gets to your torso, the more that I feel like I'm being suffocated. Yeah. So when that happened, I just put my feet off to the sides of the treadmill and I started breathing. And I, I started breathing a diaphragmatic breathing, which mm -hmm. is belly breathing, just like Grossman talked about. I'm breathing through my nut, through my mouth, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, because everybody, all my instructors, everybody used to tell me, breathe through your nose, breathe through your nose. I'm like, well, why? Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, because it's better for you. And that's all I could get. So I'm, I, I can't because I had this penchant when I was younger, when I was learning how to fight, I used to block punches with my nose. So I got deviated symptoms. I can't breathe through my nose. No. You know, so um, I, I started breathing and you know what? It, it, it took five, maybe seven seconds, and it went away. And I giggled, and that was another realization, like the one that I had where my, my rational thinking came back. This was another realization. That giggle was, I felt hope. I had a chance. And that made me realize how hopeless I had been feeling all this time. So it was like an epiphany. It was a, It was definitely an epiphany. And, um, and I couldn't believe that it worked. And I took my gear off as a success, you know? And uh, while I was doing this exercise, they have these mirrors on the, or not mirrors, but the windows on the sides of the doors in the firehouse. Mm -hmm. It's got glass, you know, and I'm looking over there every once in a while. I can see a bunch of eyes looking through there, but I'm so focused on this because this is, this is, this, that was a make or break moment for me. Yeah. I didn't even realize it. I'm just trying things, but that was the make or break moment. Was it a point where you realized you might not continue in this career if you couldn't fucking get through this? Yep. And then you were still scared. What the hell am I going to do if I'm not in it at all? Building construction. That was it. That was my life. That was my background. Building so, construction, robbing people, you know. Yeah. And firemen. But you weren't ready to get out of the fire service, obviously. No, no. And um, so I continued to pursue that. And I, I chased, I got, I got in contact with Grossman. We started going through emails back and forth. And mm -hmm. he introduced me to uh, Gavin DeBecker, who is a defense contractor now. But he was with the military. He called him. Um, to quote Dave Grossman, he said that Gavin DeBecker is a grandfather of stress inoculation in the military. Okay. He'd be able to help me. So uh, I sent, he gave me Gavin's email. I called Gavin. He actually gave me his phone number through email. And uh, it's a funny story with Grossman. I'm, I'm going to gloss over that. But, um, and uh, DeBecker had uh, Robert Martin, who was a senior executive at the time, reach out to me. Mm -hmm. And so I started putting drills together and I started running by Grossman and, and, and by Gavin DeBecker and, and training and, uh, you know, just different things for the fire service mm -hmm. in, in the hopes of getting better. And uh, they, the, they all said the same thing. Everything revolves around the breathing. Okay. And then those guys opened doors to some other people. So the reason I mentioned them is not for name dropping is because Rick George didn't make this shit up. He doesn't own it. Mm -hmm. This came from sports psychologists and military psychologists that helped me to create so at what point did you realize you were not alone in this struggle? <laughs> it turned into a class, bro. People started asking me to do that kind of training. And um, it was, they would send people to, to the, our firehouse mm -hmm. and um, it was to train them up. And so I used to, one of the ways that we do that when somebody is, is uh, 
When somebody's weak in a particular area of the discipline, uh, we make up a story that, hey, listen, we're going to go over to the training facility. We're going to go to the maze because yeah. I'm kind of a little freaking sketched out on the maze. Mm-hmm. So it would be very helpful if you came with me and we, we did this. And that's the way we would coach people into there. Right. But in the meanwhile, I'm utilizing it for me to get better. So what I realized was when I was focused on helping somebody else or focused on a task, the anxiety didn't come nearly as often as just having to sit there and wait. That sitting there and wait, my focus would go around my belly, around my chest. I'd start thinking about how I can't breathe. And, you know, at that point, you start becoming a good chance that your nickname's going to be Nostradamus because whatever you're thinking is what's going to come true. So let, let's go broader on this then, and, and let's come to the realization that what people outside of this profession don't realize, and even those that are afraid to admit it, is the, the, the fire service is full of fractured people. Not bad people, but people that are fractured. Mm-hmm. And, and are dealing with a lot of personal strife, a lot of struggle inside the job. They're dealing with their own demons as well, trying to suppress them in a lot of cases to the point where they become the alcoholic, the drug user. They become destructive to the point where we know we lose brothers and sisters every year to suicide. But the bigger side of this, you brought this up in your class earlier uh, this evening, was the realization of how to balance that home life and that work life and how much of a difference it makes. And you talked about it in the SOG SOP methodology where you can take all the SOGs and SOPs we have in the fire service and we can operate under the rules and the order of things. But when we go home, I can't tell you how many times my wife has looked at me and said, you're not the fucking Lieutenant here. You're not the fucking Lou here. You're fucking Jason. We're, we're equals. We're partners. Stop trying to fucking direct the show here. Your kids are not stupid. Your kids are capable. They're adults. They know how to fucking do things. I don't need you to help me. How about this one? I don't need you to fix it. I just want you to listen to me. Those are words that I swear to Christ I live by. That's not even a joke because I, I've had to say that to her in some cases, and, and I don't mean to come across as harsh, but when you love someone, you want to help them. You yeah. want to try to solve problems, and that can be more destructive often than, than trying to just sit back and be an ear, and it's hard to be an ear when we're problem solvers. That's right. We can't fucking solve every problem. That's what we got to realize. We got to have faith in our loved ones. So... We talk about the fracture in these relationships. So, and I think about what you probably introduced this evening. It, it, it definitely expanded on the initial component. And, and these guys coming into you, these girls coming into you, probably all had that level of, at some point, that, that self-destructive nature, that problem in the home, that problem personally. And, and think about the stigma that's been attached to it for so many years and still dealing with it today. You know, people are afraid to talk about their weaknesses because they don't want to come across as a failure in that's front of their right. peers. So I had, I had all of those problems before I got hired. Yeah. I just got sober before I got hired. So my life kind of was already in the process of mending. Um, and so it's easy for me to recognize that, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a horse thief. A horse thief can recognize another horse thief. Right. You know, a con man can recognize another con. And a fireman can recognize another fireman. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and so, yeah, uh, all of that stuff plays and, the problem with that is that the foundation's already laid. Yeah. Now let's lay a 15, 20, 25 or plus year career over that. You know, you got a concoction for a tragedy waiting to happen. You're not joking. And I've seen it time after time over after time. Again. I'm not saying I'm lucky or better than any couple out there in the fire service, but I met my wife in the firehouse. Not that that was good or bad. It could have ended my life with her five years, 10 years later. I mean, it doesn't matter. My, I, I the thing is, I, I feel like exposing her to it early 
and my kids to it early was a great step in the right direction instead of sheltering from it. And I've watched families shelter their kids from not telling them everything bad I've seen. I don't like to do that. I mean, my kids are older, obviously two of them want to be firefighters and I'm great with that. And they love hearing about what I get to do. But as a kid, I didn't go into the blood and gut side of it. You know, I can tell you, I had a really bad run of pediatrics in 2006, seven ish, right in that ballpark. And I was a fairly new medic. Then I was still working in Putnam. And it felt like we had uh, an infinite amount of pediatric arrest, trauma. I just couldn't even begin to go into description of, of how horrible that period of six, seven months was. And I, I can tell you that just about every time after one of those calls ended, I called my wife and my kids were young then. And I literally would just cry on the phone with them listening on the other side. I don't know if that was good, bad or right, wrong or indifferent, but it actually kind of brought me peace afterwards. And another thing that helped. Not that we had an aggressive SISM program or anything in Putnam County, and I'm not saying that they don't now, and, and then we did what we did, but I had a captain and a lieutenant that were always about having that big-ass chocolate milk after a bad call as well and just sitting there on the street corner. You know, we'd sit there at St. John's and Ninth, right in front of the Dairy Queen in some cases, or in a parking lot at a handy way and just sit there and talk as long as it took with a big-ass chocolate milk in our hands. You know, I want to I back up to that. Go ahead. The The... So, you know, that peace that you got from crying with your family, oh. there's, there's, um, I don't, I don't think it's discussed enough. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to figure out how to segue into that. So the family is so important because it's our foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that foundation, if you don't share that intimacy and you don't share that, that honesty and that support with each other, uh, when you end up in a divorce, because our divorce rate is like, oh, freaking, through the roof through the fucking roof now your foundation's fractured yeah and you don't have that support anymore well everything is based off of a foundation we have a standard Mm -hmm. our standards are based off morals and principles what are morals and principles or what are morals based off they're based off principles yeah you know principles such as honesty open-mindedness willingness hard work trustworthiness you know and on and on and on if you don't understand what those words mean and you don't live them then how can you dictate what your morals are? See, because your morals dictate what your values are going to be. There's one word you forgot that just completely encompasses all of that, and it's called accountability. Yeah. And, 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 and so when, when you have a family and you can do that, your foundation is so strong, you can face anything. <sighs> but I, I didn't know how to go about doing that because, right, so I'm Cuban, and I'm not knocking my people. I'm just saying our culture is very... That machismo thing, men don't cry, you don't share your emotions, you don't do that. There's a lot of fucked up, bad information. <laughs> That's not how it works. Common misnomers, right? Those yeah. Kind of, those kind of, that kind of information leads to some seriously fucking maladaptive behaviors, you know? Like womanizing and drinking and fucking fighting and yep. violence and shit like that. And it's just, what, what, what am I trying to accomplish in my life? So the thing that we focus on the most, what do we focus on? If I'm going to force a door, I'm going to focus on technique. Yeah. Okay. Now the tools matter. Okay. Of course. But the technique is everything. Yeah. And so when, when you learn the difference between an inward and an outward swinging door, the way to hold a Halligan, how to strike it, how to do it, a one man open, how to do two man, how to use tools to your advantage to create leverage, uh, how to size a door up, the approach to different kinds of doors and a process of decision-making of plan A, plan B, plan C, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and so we, you, we, we refine those skills, but how do, when we go home, how do I refine those skills with being able to tell my wife, Hey, listen, 
I, I went through a really bad shift. There were some things that happened that have just torn me up emotionally, made me think about my family. I don't know how to bring this to the kids. What's the best way to be able to approach this holistically to a family where we can actually all learn from this? Okay. And, and the reason for that is because you want to be inclusive with everybody. Mm-hmm. If you're a family unit, you're a family unit. This is, this is the same as a freaking a, a company on the fire grounds. Right. You know, that's not an individual. It's a company and, and everybody's all inclusive in everything. So if one person is, is, you know, whoever the irons person is that day, the guy that's really good or the girl that's really good with the irons is teaching everybody else. Right. So when they're not available, boom, it's you're on Kelly, you're on vacation, whatever. Somebody could step up yep. and they, they can take that position and run with it. In the family, it's the same thing. And yeah. what your kids are learning is that, you know what, you're not bulletproof. You know, you, you are going to need help and your family is everything and it's okay to be able to talk. It's okay to be able to ask for help. I mean, we say it all the time on the fire grounds and the training grounds, right? Yeah. This is where we want you to fuck up. Right. We want you to ask for help. We want to make you better. We want to make you successful because you're going to be with me. Right. But we don't do that to our family. And I think it's because we don't know how to apply those same tactics, those same techniques, those same ideas and didactics to personal life. So you take the mechanical aspect of it, right? And you just put the tools, take the tools out of the mechanical aspect and you introduce the honesty, you introduce the, um, all the principles, bro. You got to introduce principles. That's your foundation for your standard, right? Your standard, the standard that you want to have for your family. I want us to be loving. I want us to be kind. I want us to be compassionate. Yeah. I want to be compassionate. I want to be, you know, I want to be able, I want to be able to, support your passion, whatever direction you're going into. I want you to, and what you're teaching kids is to be emotionally secure. Emotionally secure allows you to develop more critical thinking, you know, to be able to situational awareness and decision-making and stuff like that. That's the way we educate our children. You yeah. know, that's the way we educate our firemen. Now, some fire departments, they don't want you to do that. You got to ask the officer everything. You're just a monkey, you know, pick that up, lift that up, move that, do this. A real company, you don't say words. You guys, you, you know, you communicate by doing. Yeah. Occasionally you'll use words. You know, everybody knows what the other person's doing. That, that right there, that's a finely tuned machine. But the only way you get there is if you take the time to get to know the people that you work side by side with every right. third fucking day. That's right. Even the outliers that come in, you've got to get to know them and you've got to get them on the same page as you. you got to bring them into the fold. Bro. And how hard is that, though? That can be really hard. I've had guys that are just so incredibly difficult to deal with. You just want to punch them in the fucking throat, you know? Repeatedly. So what, what, what I do with that guy is I'll give him an assignment. Yeah. Uh, and I've done it in the past. Hey, I need you to teach ladders for me. Mm-hmm. And when the guy's done laughing, thinking I'm fucking with him, I tell him, yeah, you got one week to get ready. Yeah. And I can help you and I can give you an outline and you can do this, but I need you to do this. You don't do this. I'm going to push it up to the chain and you go ahead and, and deal with that serious i'm like yeah "Yeah, i'm fucking serious so when you empower somebody to do that and they start to see how difficult it is and how important what it is that they're teaching is because now they're vested in it they're looking at it right different story you know your kids same way your wife the same way so it's giving them buy-in no different than if you were giving your crew buy-in as their company officer that's right you know, and you find their strengths, you find their weaknesses, and you you don't exploit them, but you use them to each other's advantage. So one is stronger in one tactic, the other stronger in another, weak in this area, but they all work together and they complement each other at the end of the day. That's right. And it's not a hard concept to understand, but sometimes even when you have the pieces in, 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 in place the way you want them, things still go fucking sideways in our lives. Yeah. 
always going to go sideways. And that's why it's good to have a company to back you up. And that's why it's so good to have a family right. around you. That's the foundation. That's what the foundation is for, to keep the building from falling down. And that's the hardest thing sometimes, I think, to get across to people is that it's not always going to be perfect, but at least you have each other and you have something you built up from. Yeah. And not only that, most people don't have somebody you can talk to. You follow those rules and that dynamic. You have an entire family. You have an entire company. You got people you can talk to. Yeah. You know, and so now you're not stuck holding that stuff in like I was, right? Which is that's what leads me mm-hmm. to you know refreshing my my you know taste for gun oil again. You yeah, know? you said that earlier this evening. Uh, you said if you've uh, never tasted gun oil, I have. Yeah. And that was a pretty close moment to you ending everything, and you mentioned that you thought of your kids. Uh, you know. <laughs> It's funny, guys get really uncomfortable when I talk about God, but what they should be uncomfortable about is why not God? Yeah. You know, and, and, and so that was a God moment for me. For some reason, for some reason, I, cu- I couldn't lay down and put a sheet over my face. I couldn't lay on my stomach without feeling like I was suffocating. Yeah. And I had no control over my emotions, the, the, the intrusive thoughts, the idea that suicide is better, you know, this and that. And then when that moment in time comes, the idea about my kids and who's going to raise your kids, where, what are your kids going to think? Right. You're going to miss prom. Yeah. It's teaching them how to, you know, drive. You're going to, you're going to miss their first know, marriage, threatening your daughter's boyfriend. Oh, <laughs> something I enjoy doing. Yeah. Something and, I enjoy and, doing thoroughly. So yeah, these are the things that, that I, I started thinking, it started flashing through my mind very rapidly. You know, the, uh, the conscious mind is, is a, is a great tool, but it's very slow. The unconscious mind is incredibly rapid and, and, and so for, for defaults and for reactions, it's why we train this much because you want to be able to do something deftly without even thinking about it. That's the unconscious mind. It's right. the same way you want to get to in the relationships with, with your families or with any loved ones. But those thoughts started running through my mind and um, I just set it down and I was like, okay, this, this is, this is fucked up. Uh, I'm running out of options here and um, I, I don't know what to do. And the next day, is when I go to that writ seminar and Paulie tells me to read this book. You talk about intrusive thoughts and that's exactly where you were at at one point. And most people acknowledge them, but are afraid to share them because they're afraid of there being a repercussion if they discuss that. And, and that's where, (laughs) what what are people going to think? Oh, I I stuck a fucking rifle in my mouth and I was going to blow my brains out. People are going to look at you and go, what the fuck? Well, of course they they are. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't have any, uh, they don't have any baseline for that. That's not something they were taught in school. No, no. But again, when you're talking about trying to be problem solvers for your brothers, you know, we we're great at solving everyone else's problems, but let's put the family aspect back into it. Not just the immediate family, but the family we work with every third day. We can't even solve our own brother's problems and sister's problems sometimes. And, and, And we're so quick to just judge, pass off, throw off, dismiss ridicule, chastise, say names, call them names, attach labels to them and just totally fuck them up even worse versus just simply saying, what the fuck is wrong? Let's talk about this. Be honest with me and let's figure shit out together. That's right. And why don't we do enough of that? Because what I'm fucking sick of seeing are departments picking up the pieces after a fucking disaster like that happens. We're not teaching it on the front end. That's a problem. Then why aren't we doing that? We have all these great new statutes in Florida and, and mental health is one of them. And yet at the same time, we're still losing the battle in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, I really, I have no answer for that. 
to me, and neither do I. That's what scares me. To me, it's it's it, it, it quite bluntly, it's fucking criminal. I so won't disagree. They, they, they they know it's a problem. They've been warned. Yeah, they've been told. They see the statistics. Here's some solutions. Crickets. Yeah, you're right. Fucking crickets. And then when it all happens and it blows up and it's. While we knew this was happening, we saw the pattern, the sick time usage, the this, the that, and now we're never going to let this happen again. Well, why did you ignore it the first time? Yeah, and 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 you know when that happens, everybody comes out as oh poor guy, he's a good guy. I can't believe it, didn't see this coming, this and that. Mm. Shut the fuck up. No. Shut the fuck up. No. Yeah, it's just not acceptable. Uh, we feel, in, That's in deflecting. Past, That's fucking deflecting right there. Right now, my ex, my old department is averaging a uh, suicide every six months. Oh, they, they've established a pattern. Oh no! And so after this last one, it was just uh, it was a series of things falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. I tried to do something about it eight years ago, and there's people battling that all the all the way between eight years ago to now. Wow! And uh, nothing's done. Uh, now, hopefully, um, things are starting to move. Uh, you know, you can never lose hope. No. Whatever you focus on, you know, what, what, you know, it's like that, that story about the good dog and the bad dog inside you. The one you feed the most is the one that's going to grow. It's the same way. Yeah. You're either going to live a life of hope or you're going to live a life of hopelessness and you're going to become a fucking cynic and nobody's going to want to fucking be near you and you're going to end up in that shithole. One of the things that scares me is just they're getting younger and younger. Yeah. And, and that's where, how come they didn't learn coping mechanisms? growing up where were their parents to be there for them and teach them that and and that's where i'll segue into it's probably going to be a cliche-ish type uh, statement but you think about the xbox generation and the google generation and the youtube generation a lot of parents just let kids grow up that way and you see that today and you put them on a bad call and you give them that experience and some people they just never talk about it and some people shelter that shit and then when you least expect it it comes out of nowhere and, and they're gone they're not here anymore because they were afraid to say something or didn't know how to say something and we need to do better with the younger generation coming in it's uh I, you know what i don't i'll throw it out there it's a systematic uh you know it, it's the systematic breakdown of, of the family unit yeah we, we, you know, for the first time in America over the last decade, we've gone from, uh, uh, there's more single parents than there are married parents. Oh, that's true. You know, and, 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 it, you know, somebody's going to be laughing now and, uh, it's not fucking funny. No. It's not funny. These kids, you're going to really, you're going to trust our government to raise your child and no. to educate them? No. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Shame on you, man. You're no. the parent. That's the first line of education right there. And to get them prepared, to be able to, to get them to feel secure and, and, and when they're insecure, to help them get through that and different things and get them involved in, in team activities as opposed to just, you know, the Xboxing and all this onlining stuff. It's not bad. Um, I, I, you know, it, the, what's bad is that you're not telling people that it changes the brain's chemistry the mm-hmm. same way that PTSD and traumatic brain injuries do. Immersive training alters the brain physiologically. And what that does secondary is it alters the brain waves and the thought processing. Mm-hmm. And so the irrational thinking, just like when the sympathetic nervous system is, is triggered, yeah. the same thing is there. And, and, you know, and so now you're also desensitizing them, determining what types of games they're playing. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not something that, you know, I suddenly invented. Yeah, read Grossman's book on combat. 
I need to actually. It's, it's not the first time I've heard of it. Unbelievable, man! They've done functional magnetic resonancing imagery (fMRIs). Yeah. And they'll show you the brain changes and stuff. He talks about how it's a tool that the military does for drone activities. Uh, now you're seeing them more and more than ever before. And everything is remotely done. Look at our society now. Ooh, virus. Zoom everything. Yeah. Telemedicine. This right. and that. You right. know, don't come near me. Wear a mask. You know, fuck. What are we Talk conditioning people distancing. to do? Yeah. It, well, it, it's it, right now researchers are looking at it and they say that we have a dis dystopic society yeah not only that the world is dystopic they don't know who to trust who not to trust what information to trust what information not to trust now you're a critical thinker yeah. and you've been through things like this and you've been exposed you come forward and you speak the truth yeah my career we've been through several pandemics this ain't the fucking first one no and it won't be the last one i'm not an idiot i'm no. not gonna expose myself unnecessarily but by the same token there are things that work and things that don't work and i'm yeah. not here to debate those things i'm just saying that's just fucking science. Man. It is. You know, and, it, and if you're not looking at everything from a common sense perspective and looking at the science, because a lot of the stuff that I've learned has come from neuroscience. And yeah. I think that the reason it's gotten to the point that it's at now is because neuroscience has taken off over the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. And we're aware of things like the brain changes about epigenetics. Mm -hmm. We're aware about neurogenesis. We can actually prove now that the brain regenerates itself. Um, you know, there's a reset know where where people become hypo front or hyperfrontality which is where they're thinking from the prefrontal cortex which is the foundation for hypervigilance mm -hmm. and things like that they're showing you the chemicals and the way that they affect from both nervous systems how to be able to reset them the neuroreceptors at the base of the lungs for the parasympathetic nervous system which is why deep breathing works so well mm -hmm. and then there's nasal breathing and and mouth breathing yeah. you know most most people don't understand that through nasal breathing the right nostril controls five cranial nerves to the left side of the brain and the left nostril controls five cranial nerves to the right side of the brain. Yeah, goes you were talking about that earlier. It goes down through the ganglions of the spine and it affects the way that things are being released. So one side is responsible for spatial navigation, which has to do with being able to move through society, move around through the earth and whatnot, depth perception, things like that. And then the other one has to do with communication to be able to problem solve, decision making and things like that. So you're actually creating a better mental acuity by breathing through your nose. It creates a back pressure also. And it's one of the ways that you can actually uh, activate the diaphragm. Mm -hmm. So the diaphragm incorporating the diaphragm through deep breathing, especially through the nose, pulls the diaphragm down. It allows the lungs to expand completely. And the deep breathing, which occurs through the nose is different than the mouth breathing. The mouth breathing is designed for when you're exerting yourself. It's part of fight or flight. Okay. Okay. And so it's rapid, fast breathing and it's necessary. It's designed like that. The, the human body is fascinating. Man. Yeah. And neurologically it's even, it's just, I'm a fucking geek about it. And so breathing through the nose, you capture your breath when you're tired, but then breathing through your nose expands the lungs and it increases the tidal volume. That tidal volume, that's the key. That's where everything fucking changes. The tidal volume. That's it. That's so, it. So you're using, I'll give you an idea. Go ahead. I'll give you a baseline. When you breathe through your mouth, oh, better yet, uh, is American heart, 12 to 20 respirations per minute for an adult. Right. They get that baseline on where we're at right now. We're just sitting down, relaxed, and you're utilizing somewhere between 15 to 20% of your lung capacity. Mm -hmm. The rest of it's fucking dead airspace. So that's where the 12 to 20 comes from. Okay. You increase the tidal volume. Respiratory rates decrease. You're activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And so that's where uh, I think the skip breathing kind of, 
I don't know if it was just bastardized and taught the wrong way or, or if it was just never taught the wrong way because it was a theory and they tried to implement it. But we teach triangle breathing or box breathing. I combine the triangle breathing is, uh, is a way to c- combine deep breathing, a hold, and a hum. Okay. okay. Just like the Riley Rescue Breathing Technique with the humming. And by doing that, you can decrease your respirations to one and a half to four a minute. And still. And be calm physiologically good yeah, in every way lowers well so it, it, it lowers the heart rate it lowers the blood pressure and naturally it lowers the respiratory rate too but it increases your mental acuity mm-hmm. your ability to rational thought calculations uh the executive functions of the brain allows your uh, visual perceptions to to include everything peripheral and everything yeah there's no shutdown like when you're hyper excited. Yeah. You know? And so you teach these little techniques and stuff like that. That's why you breathe your nose. It's not because fucking what it is better, but yeah. I mean, there's the explanation for it. And here's the kicker. Um, the mouth is, uh, is one of the nastiest places in the fucking planet. You bite somebody, they're going to die of some bizarre <laughs> disease because we just carry, it's a dirty place. Right. You know? it's, it's, right. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, and, and this isn't, you know, a, a PSA against oral sex. I'm just saying brush your fucking teeth. <laughs> but, you know, when you breathe through your nose, yeah. your, your body creates nitric oxide. Nitric oxide at the levels that the body creates, it is not toxic. It actually battles the bacteria in the mouth. Mm-hmm. But it's also essential to achieve orgasm. Let your fucking audience chew on that for a while. Now be we're getting into the Kama Sutra nasal, here. Be, be some nasal breathing motherfuckers. That. <laughs> That's good. Find it on YouTube. I guarantee you'll find yeah. a, a video for that right there. Well, um, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so and you know, everything is connected like that. And when you do things like that, it's it's just, once, once you understand, once you get our people to start understanding that, it's different. So when we wrote the book, Developing Firefighter Resilience, we tried to capture all that in there, and um, we just kept updating because science is so quick. I mean, the minute the book comes out, it's already freaking, you know, the stuff's already outdated. Right. And uh, we had a, a couple of buddies of ours, you know. Uh, Mike Agliano was one of them. He said, listen, stop doing that shit. Otherwise, you're never going to have your book published. Holy shit. Yeah, just publish the damn thing. Just get it out. You know? Yeah, and so we did. And, um, you know, Jimmy's Jimmy's been helping me. We've been doing chapters um, we've, we've gotten a chapter one so far, but you know, it's just been a little, it's been difficult, you know, um, this podcast shit is not simple. So, you know, it, it, we, we're trying to go through the books so that we can give you examples of how to implement this stuff. Right. And the reason that we want to do it as a webinar is so that we can actually, uh, you know, edit videos in there to actually, so you can actually visually see along with the explanation about this is how we implement this. And this is why. Right. You know, right. if you understand the why, we're pragmatic, you know, they tell you why you're forcing a door, why you got to hold the Halligan that way. Okay. Makes total fucking sense. And you get the job done. That's right. You may be able to, you, you may even test it. You may mm-hmm. try it the other way and, and, you know, maybe it does work, but it's a little bit more finesse and better the other way. Regardless, you know, the roof hook, they start teaching you how to use that, you know, mm-hmm. and they show you why, you know, and, and why the Z head is like that. Why it's flat on one side, why it's beveled on the other side. Right. You know, and, and now guys start to understand. Once they understand the why, that's where the buy-in happens. That's the money shot. So we kind of transitioned into it. Uh, great segue into it, actually. We were talking about uh, the, the the theater of the mind. And and here we go. Let's go ahead and delve into it real quick. And I want to go into the, the healing aspect. You talked about the physiological side. Yeah. You talked about breathing. Mm-hmm. But you also talked about how sleep deprivation fucks us up bad. Ooh. 
you talk about, well, sleep was one. And that leads to what? Depression. That leads to a lot of different issues, not just low T, because everybody says low T, low T, low T. That's just one side of it. Think about the cardiovascular side of it, how that fucks you up. Uh, But meditation I want to get into, and you kind of hit a little bit into it, but you didn't like go way into the meditation side. That does involve breathing in some cases, obviously, because you got to find a way to channel and get into that zone. But what what do you what do you what are, what's your experience with the meditation side? What do you find works best, and what do you think is a good practice there? Uh, let me let me put into context theater of the mind. Theater of the mind is a class that I created for the Orlando Fire Conference. They do something called uh, five, ten, twenty. Yeah, five instructors, ten slides, and twenty, 20 minutes. Yep. So you got twenty twenty minutes to deliver. So the theater of the mind was uh, one slide, one very short video on uh, neurogenesis and the development of neural pathways and how the, the, the uh, anyways, and then one story. Well, let me take this real quick. How they grow when you learn. That's correct. And how when you lose information, they shed away. That's correct. That's neuroplasticity. There you go. Yeah. And so the, the idea was to tell a story, uh, a story that most of us experience, you know, in the fire department, or you can relate to. Yeah. I tap into all five of the senses. Mm-hmm. I tap into the emotion and then I tap seriously into the visualization and get them into the whole SOGs, SOPs, tactics, all of that stuff. Yep. And I inject a little bit of humor in there to kind of, that's the reset. Because it's, it's. Uh, I think we went, Jimmy, Jimmy, Timey, I think it was a little over 17 minutes. Yeah. And um, so th- that's the theater mind. So the class was in that six inches of real estate between your ears. Yeah. That's where the whole class took place. And what I incorporated in it are things that you can utilize for visualization. Yeah. So how do we get there? Mindful meditation or mindfulness in general is staying in the moment while you're doing something. Okay. So if you're eating dinner, Mm -hmm. take 20 chews of every bite that you have, savor it, try to pick out the different textures, the tastes and everything staying right there in the moment. And yeah, dinner's probably going to take you about 45 minutes, but this is a technique for developing focus and attention. On top of that, when you do meditations, they do the same thing. So meditations are based off of the ones that I enjoy are based off of somebody talking. And so uh, I have a a buddy of mine. We did a a mindful meditation class for uh, my old department. It was an eight-week class. Mm -hmm. um, it uh, It was good. It was great. And the guy's name is Gus Castellanos and he's, uh, he's studied, uh, through Michigan. So university of Michigan has a mindfulness based stress reduction class. You go there, you get the certification. They did the research on it. They know what the, all the homeostatic, all the homeostatic, um, baselines are and, and how it affects all that. So, um, Gus teaches it and he speaks and there's long pauses while he's speaking and guiding you. And the reason is to allow the mind to drift. And then when he speaks again, it's an audible cue to get your attention and bring you back, Mm -hmm. bring your attention back Mm -hmm. and focus on what he's saying. That's a repetition. Okay. It's just like curls or squats. You're conditioning. Exactly. You're conditioning the mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that ability to be able to do that leaves you in a certain wavelength of the brain. It's usually between the theta wave and the alpha wave. Okay. And that's where the brain is. It's most suggestive. Okay. That's when you're calm and you're, you ever driving your car and you're conscious and you're driving and you stop and you go, holy crap, was that light? 
screen. Oh, you know? <laughs> do or, I? Yeah. Or, or it's, a, it's a half hour drive and it seemed like it was five minutes and you right. were just lost in thought. You are in between the alpha and theta wave. That's where the brain is its most suggestive. That's where you try to get to when you're meditating. Okay. That's what mindfulness teaches you to do. Yeah. Okay. So now the application to that is... I talked about preparing for the storm. You did. Storms reveal foundations. It's not the time to develop them. Yeah. Right? So now we pick something out. Mm -hmm. You've been at work. You're at a busy unit. You can't get no freaking sleep. You come home. You're a complete lunatic and a complete animal. I okay? get it. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Well, you sit in the tarmac and you breathe and you think about things. What are you going to think about? So what I want to focus on is this is the way I react when I go home. This is how I want to react when I go home. Yeah. And I implement all of those things that I said in the story, all five senses. I attach the emotions to them. I make them as realistic as possible, as detailed as possible. And I see the whole thing play out in, in there for me. That's a mental repetition. What you're doing is you're preparing the mind for where the body is going to go. Okay. okay. You're projecting in a sense. A, you're visualizing. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a meditative state and you're utilizing to get the brainwave at that place where it's most susceptible Okay. Yeah. And now, because it can't d distinguish, you know, perceived from real. Yeah. It just takes it as this is real. Okay. And so those mental repetitions, now when you go home and you have this stuff building up, you have a better chance of being able to keep it in check. Okay. Yeah. That's an arousal control for the emotional response. All right. The other aspect of it is you need to speak with your spouse ahead of time when you're calm and say, Honey, listen, when I'm at work and I have a bad day, this is typically how I react. Yeah. It sounds like everybody sounds like Charlie Brown's freaking teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And it really irritates the shit out of me. Yeah. And I'm so on edge. I snap on everything and everybody. I say, I don't mean to take that out on you, but we have to figure out a way. I'm telling you this to prepare you so that when I come home, I can tell you, I had a really bad shift and you know what that looks like. Yeah. So she gives you a wide berth and, and an opportunity to reset. I was talking about going to the gym because a lot of people are like, Oh yeah, I, I go work out. That makes me feel better. No, that gets you fucking tired. Yeah. Okay. So at work, the sympathetic nervous system, when you're running a call and you're in a fucking car accident on 995 with these cars zipping by you, you got to extricate somebody. Yeah. That's fucking life threatening, bro. Whether you like it or not, you're in the sympathetic role. Oh, 100%. And and then you can't even put the tools away and you're on your next call. Yeah. So that cycle hasn't had the opportunity to complete itself. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you remember the first fight you got into when you were a kid? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember how much you shook? Your hands were shaking. You were just like, what is the shaking thing? I got my ass kicked and I remember it very vividly. Okay. So try to remember a point in time when something happened and you were shaking. Those, that is, that's the completion of the sympathetic nervous system. The body shaking is the body burning off the hormones that it produces in the sympathetic nervous system. That is the complete cycle. Okay. We don't do that. We go from one call to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Where do you think that shit's stored? It's built you ever up. hear that gut logic? They talk about, you know, your gut. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there. Guess what? It's where it goes. That explains a lot. Your body. That you explains know, a you lot. You hold it. You get tumors, you get cancer, you get all these heart attacks. I mean... Systemic inflammation, and that's correct, directly related to heart attack. Oh, gotcha. number one killer of us. Yeah. So understanding all that, go to the gym, work out, burn the shit the fuck off, come home, meditate, eat something, drink something, take a fucking nap. Because the nap 
there's there's so deep sleep is in delta light sleep is in theta yeah okay in delta you have two different types of sleep you have rem sleep and non-rem okay. rem is an abbreviation for rapid eye movement mm-hmm. okay in rapid eye movement the brain regenerates itself I mean, at the cellular level. Yeah. Okay. Nutrients are brought on, waste is taken out, the and neurogenesis occurs. The okay. brain regenerates itself. Yeah. Then when you go into non-REM, the body regenerates itself at the cellular level. You ever have those dreams where you can't move? Yeah. The body goes into a semi semi-paralytic state during non-REM sleep. Freaks me out. <laughs> you wake up like holy shit. But guess what? You're normal. That's yeah. part of the body regenerating itself. Yeah. Those cycles take somewhere from... Now, remember, all this shit's a generalization, boys and girls. Right, okay, I'm a fucking right. high school graduate. I'm not a fucking neurologist. All right? I'm just a geek that enjoys neurology. All yeah. right? So, um, the, the, when, 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 when you bring the nutrients in and you sleep and you regenerate and you do all of that stuff, you have a greater clarity. You have all kinds of other things that kick in. Mm-hmm. So, there's a complete cycle right there of how you normalize coming back and you empower your family by letting them know, look, this is how I'm going to respond. This is what's going on. This is why I'm a jerk, you know. And then, you know, you got the politics at work and all the other nonsense and all this shit. So there's a lot of factors that play into that. That's why it's important to develop that intimacy with your spouse. Yeah. These are the things you need to be talking about. And not you put know? the barriers up. The storm is when I come home from fucking work and I got one of those faucets that, like, hooks over the sink you know yep. it's got the big spring on it yep and my wife used to take the dish towel and throw it over that thing it used to drive me fucking crazy <laughs> so I, I i go to the store one day and i see this rack it hooks on the, the cabinet door yeah it's the same as the handles on the cabinets i'm like oh it must be god's will yeah it's this supposed to be silly. this is exactly where I, I, right. I come home all fucking proud i show her i go honey look it goes right here. It's where the dish towel goes. You don't have to hang it there anymore. She goes, oh, that's nice, honey. I go to fucking work. I come back the next day. Guess where the dish towel is? Back where it was originally. Back goddamn faucet. And guess what Rick's response is? <laughs> what the fuck was this? Why can't you do this? Like shit, right? And, yeah. And it's, listen, we are control freaks. Yeah. We take chaos and we make fucking order out of it. <laughs> we bring the fucking rain. We help you breathe. We deliver babies. We do all kinds of shit, you know? It, that doesn't work at home, boys and no. girls. That's not the way it works. No, and it, it's a it's a very true realization when I hear it. Just it's a reminder that I got to stop trying to be the work me when I'm at the home. I can't do that, and and that is something that I struggle with often. And I've come to realize that more more now than ever before. Right. I don't know what it is. It's weird. It's <laughs> so, like out of nowhere it started happening. But I maybe I was always well, that that's way. Curiosity. That's we we need to know. Yeah. It's the why. why yeah. If I understand why, I can avoid doing it. I mean, there there are days where I feel like I'm a bad person because when it's mentioned that you're the control freak at home, it's like, well, am I that bad at work then? Or, or, or it, it, what am I bringing home that I'm not able to fucking let loose, you know, just to release, you know? My response was, well, since when did being a control freak be a bad thing? Right. You know? God damn. Uh, weren't you attracted to that? Yeah. Didn't you like that side of me? You know, so look, look, circling back. Yeah. In the theater of the mind, the whole idea was to get people to think. It's the first time I did it like that. Okay. And, and so it wasn't really the best delivery, but it was okay. And I, I missed a lot of points that I'm covering now. Yeah. And so what we're setting up is all of these things to be able to incorporate, to bring you whole. Yeah. So that you can come back as that person and, and bringing your family with you. So, you know, we've got all this cool shit like peer support and, and SISM and all that. What do we have for our spouses? 
and that's the bridge we haven't crossed yet. Why don't we have, and actually we call that the, the crossover. Yeah. So we call it a crossover. And the crossover is that whoever the, whoever the peer support director coordinator is, they incorporate a peer support for the spouses. Yeah. And it's not so the spouses can work on the other spouses. It's not the way it works. It's so that if, you know, I'm at 33, you're at 36, you're at 31, we all go on a freaking plane crash, there's fucking bodies and shit burning all over the place. Somebody notifies the SISM and the peer support. That coordinator notifies the spouses in those departments, yeah. in those stations, yeah. and or the coordinator for the crossover program. And they contact only the spouses that want to be included in that. Right, right. That creates a support group for them like we have with the fire department. Yeah, because we often forget they have to have coping mechanisms Absolutely. in place too. And, and, and their normal reaction at first it's, it's, you know, understanding and patience and then that wears thin and then it becomes frustration and anger and then they lash out. And yep. then you obviously start seeing the deterioration of that fucking relationship That's happening. That's correct. And then you lead down the road of divorce, That's it. divorce with malice. How about oh, that? With malice. Even with malice. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, I've seen that like you. I mean, it's, it, if, I I was, if I was married to me, I'd have divorced my ass. Like a year into it. I, I swear. Know, fuck that. I'm out of here. Sarah says the only way out of this one is me fucking dying. That's it. You know, because right now, you know. Keep the insurance. Right. You know, and I'm not even worth that much in the grand scheme of things. But the point being, she's like, no, I didn't marry you to, to fucking just divorce you. I married you to marry you. Listen, man, you can't put a can't put a price on peace of mind. No, you can't. And that's what we need to understand too. We could fix ourselves sometimes, but we also have to think about the impact we left on our spouses in the long run. And, and okay, so we fixed ourselves, but so, what have we done to them now that we got to fix? So, so think about this. Now. Yeah. So here, here let, let me throw a little curveball in here. So now here we are, this reactive guy. Yeah. Right. And now we've developed our wife to so where she's this fucking reactive person. Yeah. Right. So in a moment of calmness, we bump uglies and we have a baby. <laughs> okay. So now, this welcome baby, to the fire service. So now, this baby, right, yeah. and, and under the influence of alcohol, because we've been drinking, that's part of the coping. It goes with okay. it. Yep. So now, this baby develops what's known as a tag, and okay. they have these behaviors that are very, very strong. Okay. And these emotions that are very, very strong, and these thought processes that are very, very strong, kind of imprinted on them. It's imprinted on them because it it wraps around. The histones have proteins that wrap around them, and those proteins store those reactions and all that stuff, and they're like light switches. But when you hang a tag on one of these proteins, and that tag is alcohol, violence, you know, maladaptive behaviors of whatever kind, insert here, it shuts the other proteins off, and that one turns on. It turns into a predisposition. That's known as epigenetics. I'll be damned. And that's how it's handed down generationally. The Bible calls it the sins of the father. Wow. Yeah, bro. I did not know that. That's Fuck incredible. So something new every day. The bro. the bad <laughs> shit we do the for the the sins of the father basically. That's correct. Generational sin. That's right. The, the the son or the daughter pays the price in the end. Truly, it goes beyond the genetical side of it in a sense. Even though it is genetically adaptive, yeah. that's crazy. And, and the best part about it is that can be overcome. Really. And that's why we were talking about when I was talking to my spouse <clears throat> when I gave the example of. How do you bring it to your spouse? Well, honey, listen, this is what I've been going through, and I don't know how to bring it to the kids, you know? Yeah. And so by creating that kind of a thing, you're able to break that cycle, break that chain by talking to the children and explaining to them, look, this is what's been going on. 
So, you know, and then talking with them. And now in the future, when they go through that, you get to say, hey, you remember when, when you were a kid and I would go through a bad time? Yeah. And we would sit down and we would talk. You know, this is what it felt like. You're going through it now. Wow. This is what it felt like. Just like in the early days of our relationship, we actually talked about things. Oh, yeah. There were no barriers then, but everything changes, you know? And, and I think going back to it, when you think about the 20 year ago, me and the 20 year ago, you, you look at the way the relationship started and everybody evolves in one way or another, whether good or bad people evolve. And sometimes that, that wedge is driven between them. And sometimes that is bigger than even the, the problems individually that wedge is created or influenced by it, that yeah. behavior, but still we are different people than we were when we first met. And, and I say, my wife reminds me of that. We're not the same. We were because we had different ideals, different goals, different realizations, different plans. You know, I believe the, uh, I believe it says when a man and woman join, they become one. Yeah. And, and that one is a hybrid of each. Okay. So, you know, relationships are about compromise, bro. They are. But if you're not willing to compromise, that's where it gets bad. Right. So just buy her a house and don't get married. And it's, it's okay to be different from where you were when you started. Cause think about the maturity and think about it. Listen, we're going to go into it. We're going to talk about who got what, okay. You know, who got the kids, who got the house, who got the cars. But where I'm going with that is you, you think about it. When I, when I married my wife, I was 20 and I was a different person then. She was a different person at 19 when we had our first kid, that's right. our second, third, fourth kid. Everything she went through medically, physically, everything that I've gone through as well as, as not just husband to Sarah, but as an individual, you know, and, and, and there's been good and bad. And I, I think about it, we, and not try to circle back and go back into the whole, what damage we've done to them. But when you do grow and mature, you do have to find that common ground and we fail far too often. And that's where you brought it in very eloquently. You've got to learn how to break that barrier, break that ice with your spouse and say, honey, this is what the day was. This is where we need to go forward from here. And if you can't do that, obviously the, the consequences are far greater. Oh, it's terrible, bro. It's the destruction of the family. You know, as you, as you and your spouse grow, you're growing closer. Okay. You would so hope we're going to stay on that premise. I'm down. You're going, you're, you're growing closer and you've gone from these people that you used to be to where you're at now. And as you're raising your children, you're talking to them and explaining things to them. So that when the time comes, one, it's recognizable for them. Two, when they're going through it, you can say, hey, you remember when daddy was going, or you remember when mommy was going through this? This is what it felt like. Yeah. And and this is what we did. And I understand, you know, that you may not want to try it or whatever, but I'm just planting the seed so that you have this available to you should you ever decide to make a move. Yeah. Right? Because if you want what you ain't got, you got to do what you're not doing, what you're never done. Right. And so that's the same shit that we need to be doing with our firemen in Crude Academy. Oh, when right off the get go. They're getting fucking certified. We right need to be able to teach them that methodology, that thing right there, because a lot of them are bringing their own traumas already. Oh, God, okay. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to put them in a position to exacerbate that situation quickly. Okay. Then we're gonna let's put, we're gonna go ahead. On, we're going to put them on a rescue at the busiest fucking station. And beat them to death. Absolutely. And, and not give them the coping skills. So if you have not identified and said hey listen 
When you start to experience things like trouble sleeping, intrusive thoughts, you start to vicarious trauma and explain to them what vicarious trauma is when you're taking other people's traumas and you're making it seem like yours. So I go to a, a drag racing thing and there's these two kids there and they have the name Danielle and Dylan mm-hmm. and it happens to be the name of my kids. The ages were reversed, fucked me up. So that was one of the intrusive thoughts. Listen, that's going to happen. Yeah. But when it happens... The sooner you can get to EAP or talk to a clinician about it, it just becomes acute traumatic exposure. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't go any further if you process it properly and have it reframed. If you don't, then you have the opportunity to go to a hypervigilant, a depressive state, an anxiety state, maybe even post-traumatic stress. Yeah. You know? So these are the pitfalls that you watch for. And when they come, don't think that you're bigger than them. Because better men than us have lost that fight. Yeah, they have. You know, and, and, and not only that, it's fucking normal. We need to normalize this shit. If we don't normalize it, we're fucked. We're proper fucked. So. That's the 22nd time. I let, let, let's close out on this then. Okay. And, and we're going we're gonna to go back to the one thing you pointed out, which I think is imperative we need to start doing. And it's teaching these kids in academy. Teaching yeah. these kids in recruit school. Um, you know, we're unique in Florida. I know. It's, it's the witching hour. Jesus. Hey, but you've held out. You've done great. I'm going to be shit tomorrow. Yeah, but I'll pick you up and we'll get you coffee. Don't worry. We'll be good. We'll be good. But where I'm going with that is you talked about culture. Yes. And and the negative and the, the positive aspects of culture, the toxicity that culture uh, can have impact-wise on any agency, any department, any fire station. doesn't matter. The crew can be toxically, uh, you know, the culture can be toxic in a crew just as much as it can be in a department. It doesn't have to be the whole department, but Recruit Academy and like Florida is very cool because most everybody goes through standards before they get to a recruit class. You know, they go to standards, they have EMT done, in some cases medic. And, and that's step one where I think they need to learn those life skills and they need to learn what our job is and they need to be indoctrinated, you know, in a sense, right? And get that education. Sure. But then you get into the cultural side of the department that hires you. And if they don't align with the things that you learned maybe in that academy, it's only going to deprogram them in a sense and create a very uh, potentially negative run and lead to those problems that we open the show with funny how you will still have stations in that department that are solid yeah funny right yeah because it's the 10 10 80 theory have you heard of this go with it 10 percent of the department makes your department shine yeah 10 percent is shot in the head they're done they ain't never gonna change yeah 80 percent rides the fence that's who we influence the 80 percent the 80 percent i don't care if you're up the ranks or down the ranks yeah that's what you implement. That's that's what you. That's God's work, bro. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, that's that's what we do. We but build it, a small army and we change a culture. That's what the fools did. The fools changed training in my department forever. For the better. Forever, yes, for the better, but forever. Yeah. And it and it went from an old beat down to you piss down your fucking leg and shiver in fucking fear to an understanding and a knowledge and empowering them to be able to teach the next person a healthy respect for what you were learning too, even yeah, if it man. did beat the fuck out of you. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that, that's a natural progression. So it's, yeah. it's like crawl, walk, run, sprint, right? We, we want to teach competence, yep. confidence, mastery, right? And, and, and to get you to mastery, it's gradual degrees of difficulty. Yep. Increase. Yep. And it's, it's very gradual. It's very, there's no fucking race. 
we do a mass confidence drill, it's for mass confidence. Yeah. The, the, the tasks aren't going to make sense. It's just to keep you comfortable in your mass. If you start to get panicky, we talk you down off of it. Why? Because yeah. we're developing confidence, for fuck's sake. Right. You keep them the in their mask. It's so hard to figure out about that. <laughs> because. It's not a fucking shit sandwich that you expect them to enjoy. No, it sucks. But you know what? We're going to get you comfortable in this because you may end up trapped or lost or something. But when that anxiety fucking shows up, I want you as comfortable as possible. In your gear, I want you as comfortable as possible in the process of what am I supposed to do? All right, let me breathe, you know? And so that breathing technique I was telling you about? Yeah. When we do immersion classes, we teach them how to do this. And on the old bottles, which are the what? The quarter bottles, mm -hmm. um, guys were taking 1,000, 1,100 PSI, and which typically runs 6 to 13 minutes with no technique or anything, just breathing. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're extending it the first time by 20 minutes after that. We got guys breaking 60 minutes, 82 minutes on a thousand PSI. No shit. It's yep. amazing. Yep. But all we train is hit this mark, get out. Don't worry about the rest. You hear your vibe alert. You've gone too late instead of trying to teach them techniques to actually expand on that volume and yep. keep that volume intact longer. Yeah. What, what, what if, what if they're trapped, lost, disoriented? Now the vibe alert goes off. You know what we teach them? Activate your pass alarm. You're a fucking mayday. Yep. Okay. Let's do a fucking irritant. That's going to fucking deafen you. Yeah. How do you think that's going to affect the respiratory rate? It's going to fuck it up. It's a little bit of anxiety yeah. there. How about we shut that off? We listen to the radio. We communicate. We control our breathing. We control our emotions, right? And the way you control your emotions and your breathing is through your thinking. Yeah. Now, if you haven't practiced and prepared for this storm, that storm's going to fucking reveal your foundation, Ricky Tick. Yeah. Okay? And then we listen to the radio. And when they're closer bang on something or we activate the pass alarm i'm not trying to rewrite sogs and i'm not saying pass alarms are bad i'm just saying that in that case it's an irritant that makes you breathe faster and deplete your air quicker yeah because it think it, about it, what the fuck we're doing it triggers you it's it's your last line of defense to get someone to you it's yeah. the the only thing between you and and help and, and yeah. if that thing's going off you're anxious when is that help going to get here when am i going to get fucking removed from this building so or this spot i'm on low air yeah vibro alert my bell my whistle whatever's going on yeah now i'm gonna activate my pass alarm all three fucking things that you don't want to experience right. in a fucking fire when you know you're trapped, lost, disoriented, or you just can't get out. You ain't got enough time. That's the fucking uh, truth right about there. about you find a place to shelter in place, activate this freaking breathing technique that you've been practicing and mastered, right? Mm -hmm. Calmly first, and then over duress. So when we do our immersion classes, we, we run these... Man, it's, I wouldn't take my class. We, we, we run them hard, man, because we got to break them down. These guys are like CrossFit geek. These guys are just got, got so much gas and strength, and they're young. you know. Yeah. So we beat them down, and we get them tired, because when you get physically tired, you start get making mental mistakes. Right. The mind will quit before the body does. Yeah. And so that's when we start doing our work with them. And then we start implementing things. So every time we do an evolution, we have a little PIA afterwards. We discuss what we hit on. We discuss them with, with that, that particular drill. We, we happen to, to, to capture small motor function and critical thinking and decision making. This drill over here was emotional arousal because we got your thinking off. We frustrated you. Yeah. And by frustrating you, you couldn't reset yourself, so we coached you. Yeah. And that's how we got the reset, and that's why you were able to get through that. That's but it was right. locked into the brain at that point. Bro, there are guys, I can't tell you, man. We put them up in front of the... This, you know, the, the 
corrugated tubes, you know, yeah. like fucking 10 feet long and they could barely get through that thing and, and, or an entanglement and they'll stop and they'll look at it and they'll be like, I've, I've had, I've had a guy tell me I've been ducking this drill for 20 years. I yeah. hate it. And when we helped him through it and taught him the techniques at lunch break, he's over there with his fucking pack on, on air going through in and out of this. He must've done it 12 times. It's amazing what happens. Yeah, the guy that couldn't get through the entanglement was like, you should have seen him, bro. It's, my boy knows who he is, Brett, out on the West Coast. You yeah. know, he's he's uh, he's out in the Portland area. He's uh, He lost 80 pounds to take our class. Bro. No shit. That's fucking dedication. I don't care who you are. And if you don't take guys like that and embrace them and empower them and lift them up, you're a piece of fucking shit. And you're wasting, you're wasting time and effort. Yeah. Wasting time and effort at that point. Rick George, Firefighter Resiliency. Fucking hour and 10 minutes right there. I know, you're like, crap. I got to go to bed. I got to get up at 6.30, go teach, go do this, OFC 2022, 20th year. Oh, my God, I'm ready to go home now, you said. You might go to Georgia. You should go to Georgia. Don't go back south. You might be happier up there. Listen, bro, it's great to have you. I appreciate you finally coming on the show. There was a lot of great shit we talked about, and I, I, it, it shit that kind of impacted me in a way and kind of made me come to a realization, and, and that matters. It really does. So you're going to come back. We'll have you back on. And I know little Sean's here and the gang, you know, they're here. Little Sean back here by my left shoulder. Thanks know. for having me, bro. That's Big right. Sean. Big, uh, Sean. Big Sean. I'm sorry. You can't call him little Sean because he's already little. But anyway, so be it. Anyway, guys, we're back. I'm glad that Rick George came on for this uh, season four episode opener. It's fucking awesome. As always, remember, you are your brother's, your sister's keeper. Whether you like it or not, whether you don't like them or not, it doesn't matter. You still got to look out for them at the end of the day because they're the ones that are going to pull you out. Vice versa. So always keep your head on a swivel. God bless you. We'll see you on the next one.